Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. And now, we dive into the book of Acts. Basically, introducing today the book of Acts. The book of Acts is kind of a, it's basically the Gospel of Luke Part 2. It's kind of like a sequel. Uh, the Luke addresses both of them to a gentleman named Theophilus. Theophilus, when translated, is, means friend of God. So there's a certain degree of speculation within the church that it could just be mean like a code name for the entire church because, again, it's translated friend of God. There's no reason to believe that. There's no uh, proof of that. There's no indication of that. It seems like he was actually writing to this individual. I'll get into some theories as to why. Uh, one specifically that I kind of buy into as we kind of move along. The Book of Acts is basically hard to say because uh, in one way, it is basically the church at its infancy. It's the beginning of the church. Uh, the, um, and we'll, we'll look more into that uh, here in just a bit. But it, it is basically the pronounce the 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 indwelling and the power empowering of his spirit in order to testify of Christ and therefore build the church start the church but we need to look at it through a different uh, perspective and we'll get into that here in a second what is christianity that is one main uh, you know point of the entire work uh, you know uh, specifically the entire new testament but christianity differs uh with all other religions uh mainly because they posit a personal God. Um, and we'll get into that more on Wednesday. So I'm just kind of introducing this at the outset. Um, that, and again, that's what we're going to look at more on Wednesday. All of the other religions have been tried and been found wanting. Uh, G.K. Chesterton kind of flipped it and didn't flip it on and said, G.K. Chesterton, I'm actually going to use him in my conclusion. Brilliant, uh, old, you know, late 19th century apologist. He was a Catholic. Uh, he was a large re- main uh, reason uh, C.S. Lewis came to faith. I love him. He has short uh, little volumes because he can say so much in one sentence. It's brilliant. It's amazing. Uh, but he said the problem with Christianity isn't that it's been tried and been found wanting. It's that it's been found difficult and left untried. Uh, but we will look at, again, many of the differences uh, and stark contrasts uh, compared to other religions. Uh, the, uh, let's go back to Theophilus again. So if you look at uh, the first chapter of Luke, now let's go ahead and go to the first chapter. First four um, verses, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So that's the main, that's the reason he's sending him the gospel, okay? Uh, as much as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, Christ's earthly ministry, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, ministers of the word, delivered them to us. It seemed good to me that, you know, so I made this for you. So if we uh, go to Acts chapter one, reads, the former account I made, both Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So again, he's, um, he's 
talking to Theophilus here, and he's alluding to right there in verse one, the former account I made. That's that's part one. That's Luke one. Uh, oh, Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. That's what it was about. All that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up his ascension, which we're going to look at here in a second. We're going to we're breezing through this to really set up uh, the scene here. I want y'all to kind of look and think of it kind of as a movie because the way it, the way the gospel of Luke ends and then the way the book of Acts begins is brilliant. Uh, I mean, you see it kind of in movies sometimes where, you know, it, it leads into what the sequel is going to be about. But then once the sequel starts, it takes you back to the end in a different kind of context and in different uh, phraseologies and stuff. But then it continues on there. So until the day in which he was taken up uh, the ascension after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments. That's what we're going to talk about here in a second. To whom he also presented himself alive after suffering, suffering by many infallible proofs. That's key. And we'll get back to that being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is something we're going to see again and again and again. And I'm going to kind of wait to get into that more. Uh, It has many different aspects, uh, whether they're temporal, eternal. um, It it has a bunch of different meanings. um, And we're going to get into that. We'll actually see a bit of that um, as we go along. Again, this Theophilus um, that he's addressing one of the conjectures that I kind of buy into is that this this man, because he does call him most excellent Theophilus, which is a high degree of praise and, and admiration. So he was probably a high level figure either in the Roman government or influential uh, to the government. And so what's likely the case is this this Theophilus was likely a God fear. There, there were different Jews at that time. God fear is one who basically believed in the tenets of Judaism. Uh, but in order to become a complete Jew, you had to get circumcised. And it's one thing to get circumcised as a baby. Another thing is a man. So these guys were like, I agree. <laughs> this is this is all good. And I, and I want to be under your teachings. Uh, however, you know, it's all the same if I can skip out on the whole circumcision thing. Uh, yeah, let's do let's go that way. So those were God fears. Uh, conversely, Luke, uh, uh, Paul in Colossians alludes to Luke as he has, has kind of a list of those who are of the circumcision. So these are Gentiles. So Theophilus was originally a Gentile and he became a God fear. So a Jew, uh, but one that didn't, wasn't circumcised. Uh, Luke became a Jew, uh, with the circumcision. He was originally a Gentile and he became a Jew through the circumcision and do it as you can understand, you know, a full grown man would be a bit more hesitant. (laughs) But uh, so, yeah, Luke was uh, most likely a Gentile that became a full blown proselyte uh, in, in Judaism. And he most likely heard of the gospel through Paul. You'll notice kind of in the middle of Acts. So Luke is talking about what's going on with all the apostles, even uh, Paul. And, and, you know, it's they went here, they did this, he went here, he did that. And then all of a sudden, starting, I think, about chapter 12, it becomes we. We went here, we did this. So Luke was a companion of Paul in a bunch of his missionary expeditions. And, and he was very close to Paul. Again, he uh, um, Paul even alludes to Luke being with him in certain times in his epistles. Paul's epistles, uh, all Paul's letters, except for his pastoral epistles, the ones to Timothy and Titus. And I know some of this is foreign, but this is what we're going to be getting into. But most of his epistles, most of the letters of Paul, most of the New Testament, in fact, were written 
during the time of Acts, while all this is going on. And this is, and the book of Acts is really just a synopsis. It's not an exhaustive history uh, of the, of either all of the apostles and all of the disciples or everything that took place at that time. It's neither of those things. It's a synopsis. It's selective narratives and selective sermons, just like uh, the gospel writers do. They didn't exhaust everything that uh, Jesus both began and, uh, to do and to teach. And I mean, John is the one who says uh, at the end of his gospel, you know, if we wrote of everything that Christ did, I mean, there, there aren't enough library, you know, there's not enough space in the world to contain all the books that, you know, w- would, would be necessary for that. So Luke was part of uh, Paul's ministry, and it's likely he's writing this to Theophilus as possibly a legal defense on account of Paul. Acts ends with Paul in prison in Rome, uh, and he's later executed. Uh, he uh, is decapitated, and they cut his head off. Um, but but it leaves with him still imprisoned in Rome. So it could very well be that Luke is writing this, first of all, the gospel, the account for, for Theophilus, which is written specifically, I mean, it's written in such a way that it is directed to this gentleman, Theophilus, but it's also written in such a way for wide distribution. So it's got a double purpose kind of a thing. He is sending it to this gentleman, but with the intention also of wide distribution for all the churches to get it. So whenever the churches would receive these letters, they would, uh, the, the pastor or the minister, somebody would read them to the entire congregation. And, and many uh, different churches would get the same copy kind of a thing. And they'd all uh, read them in the, in the presence of everybody else. One thing we need to be cognizant of, let me go back to um, the book of Acts as far as it being the, uh, well, let me say one thing real quickly before I get into that. It's called the book of Acts as in the Acts of the Apostles. It's short for Acts of the Apostles, just like when you see Luke, that's short for the Gospel of Luke. Used to be referred to, for a short time, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, which I find much more apt. You see the influence of the Holy Spirit throughout this book. However, I'd actually like, I'd prefer, as many scholars suggest, that it should be called the Acts of God. It truly is a tr- Trinitarian influence. Uh, God promises the sending of His Spirit. Uh, Christ is the one who sends the Spirit and the Spirit comes. It's a Trinitarian action. We're going to see that as we move along. We're going to see that a bit uh, today, but it is it is the Acts of God. Another thing we need to keep in mind here, it's well and good that we look at the book of Acts as a story uh, and an account of the church's infancy, of our infancy, of our origin. It's our origin story. Story. I think that's fine. I think that's great. Uh, it is, but it'd be a mistake not to uh, notice that that's not what the original intention was. Uh, when when the gospel writers wrote the gospels, when they wrote the book of Acts, when Paul is writing his epistles, they have no interest in making a new cre- new religion. They have they have no intention on creating a new faith. The way they're separated is that the Jews kick them out of the synagogue. So they're kind of out by force. Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's truly a Jewish Christianity has her roots in Judaism. Uh, it's a Jewish faith, so to speak. Christ came to fulfill the Jewish scriptures. And that's how they see it. That's how they see it. He came. Uh, and we're going to look at that in a second. But after they know and once they're filled with the spirit, that's what their that's what their intention is. You'll see uh, even after Peter, uh, in the first sermon, it's just to Jews because it works outwards. We'll, we'll see here in a second. But it's just to Jews uh, originally. And in Jerusalem, they continue to go to the temple. They meet at the temple. They they are still 
performing the Jewish rights, the Jewish um, mandates, the Jewish law. They're still under the Jewish rubric, so to speak. Um, and that's important to notice, especially as we go along. And I'll continue to point that out to us. But it's it's very important that we notice and we, we recognize the Jewish uh, influence throughout not just this work, uh, specifically at the beginning, but works afterward. Because one of the things that they found amazing was that God is actually sending his spirit also for the Gentiles. Later on, when Paul becomes uh, a preacher, he, he, he's going into synagogues and they're kicking him out. So he's dusting off the uh, soles of his feet. And he's like, you know, well, then forget y'all. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And it becomes the apostle for the Gentiles. And once a group of them are converted. The, they are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And this is a shock to the Jews. This is a shock and kind of an, kind of an offense. We're going to look at that more again on Wednesday. But you you have to appreciate there was a huge amount of uh, animosity and enmity from the Jew to the Gentile, more than it was the other way around. Uh, and there was also animosity between the Jew and the Samaritan. And I'll get into the history of that real briefly. That has to do with the, now nah, I'll get into that. Uh, and I guess I should go into that right now. The, 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 after Solomon's reign, the kingdom was divided into the northern kingdom of, uh, of Israel and the southern kingdom of uh, Judah. I'm going to try to feed all in through this. Uh, and Judah was actually more faithful of the kingdoms. Um, and later on, you know, through their apostasy, through their, their disregard of God's law, he, Judges them, and 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 the northern kingdom is taken captive to from from the Assyrians, um, and later on, I think not very long after that, I think it's two hundred years later, Judah is also taken captive uh, from the Babylonians, and but they the Judean, so the Judah and Benjamin saw themselves as the true kingdom because once the kingdom was divided, Israel was completely apostate. Completely. They never had a good king, except for Jehu, and he was he was squishy. Uh, but, um, but Judah always had a faithful king, more or less, uh, especially towards the end, much less. But anyway, so there was a divided kingdom. The kingdom of Judah uh, seemed to be the most uh, pious, the more uh, ones that were in conformity to God's law. And once they came back and came back into the promised land and they were building the uh, temple, a bunch of the Samaritans wanted to be involved and the Jews were like, no, you know, <laughs> you know, because when they came back, they were still influenced by the pagan gods and all this kind of a thing. I'm trying to lay this out as shortly as I can. Anyway, there was a bunch of consternation that looked like that. That's why when Jesus comes to the Samaritan woman, they the Jews are all kind of upset. Not only is he talking to a woman, but he's talking to a Samaritan. And not only is this woman unmarried and had five, five husbands and all this kind of a thing, but she's a Samaritan. They're, they're not allowed to deal with Samaritans. When, when Christ gives a parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, a guy is traveling along the road, he gets robbed, he gets beaten, and he's left on the ground. And these two Pharisees go, and they walk way past him because he could be dying, so they'd be unclean if they touched him or that kind of a thing. You know, another person could pass him, but then all of a sudden it's, a Samaritan comes and he sees this Jew who's all busted up and bleeding and, and, and had just been robbed. And he takes him and he, uh, and he gives him shelter in a hotel. And he tells the person, uh, you know, any kind of money that's necessary for this, I'll pay for it. That's the story of the Good Samaritan. And the Jews 
hated that story because you're making the Samaritan out to look better than the Jew and all this kind of a thing. But there was, there was this huge enmity that really went both ways, but more from the Jew to the Samaritan. And that's kind of important as we work along, not so important on, at the outset. Um, but you, you do have to understand that when, so when the Samaritans, cause we'll see Jesus says to wait for the spirit to come in Jerusalem. And once he's come, you'll, you'll start ministering, you'll start start witnessing of me in Jerusalem, work your way out into all Judea. Jerusalem was in Judea, so I'll work your way out into all Judea, and then into Samaria, and then into the ends of the earth, into the ends of the earth. But when they reach Samaria, and there are converts there, and they're receiving the Holy Spirit, again, they're praising God for it, but it's a shock to them. And we'll see that more again as we go along. Let's go ahead and go to Luke chapter 24, that we can give a little bit more context here. And I'm just going to read through the whole thing, and then we'll break it down. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to be like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was that while they conversed in reason that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened were in these days, there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had uh, also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning in Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they, and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And he said to one, and they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. 
And they told about the, th- the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Let's stop here for a second because I want to, we'll, we'll get to the later part in, here in just a second. So I want to kind of set up the scene here in a sec, for a second. We, we again have to appreciate, we, we, we take our contemporary view of things and recognize that, yeah, Jesus was crucified, but he was raised and he, you know, he was, he wrote, he was buried, dead, buried, rose again and ascended into heaven. And that's all great. Uh, they were, they did not know this. They did not know that. Uh, they had put all of their hopes, all of their trust, all of their lives into th- this man who they believed was going to be the one to redeem Israel. The, they, they believed he was the Messiah and he died. All of their hopes and their dreams died on the cross and they're devastated. They are besides themselves, beside themselves with grief. They have, they have lost a dearly loved, dearly loved one. It, it's not just that, you know, they got to know him well. They lived with him for years. They ate with him for years. They heard beautiful, the wonderful uh, truth about the kingdom of God from his lips. And he's gone. He gave them power two by two. He gave the apostles power to preach his name and to heal diseases and to cast out demons, all this stuff. And they were, and then he dead. They, they were waiting for the promise of the Messiah to come and rule in righteousness on earth and destroy all their enemies, foreign and domestic. And that there's a good reason for that. Christ is coming again and he will reign on the earth. Okay, that is that is happening. That is one of the aspects of the kingdom of God. So that's one. <laughs> we're going to see many different aspects, but that's one. And that's what they were expecting. That's all they were expecting. They didn't know the kingdom of God involved all of this other stuff, which is what uh, after Christ is raised for 40 days. That's what he's telling them. But right now he's in the tomb. You know, he died this terrible death. All the disciples are scattered all over the place. Um, eventually the apostles uh, gather back together, but the disciples are gone. Everybody's gone. Uh, he's dead. Their hopes and dreams are crushed. Then Sunday comes and the women, interestingly, I mean, it was their time, ta- but they, they go to, um, to bringing spices uh, and they're wondering, though, how are we going to roll away the, the, the stone? It's a huge stone, <laughs> you know, but they're going anyway. We'll, we'll figure it out when we get there. Uh, and when they got there, the tomb was open. And they went in, and then the body of Christ is not there. And they see two men, obviously angels, and they're in shining garments. Other uh, translations say white garments, but they're shining garments. These are obviously angels. Uh, and then they were afraid, again, because every time you encounter an angel, you're going to be very afraid. Uh, and they bow their faces to the earth, probably in fear, not, as in, rever- not in reverence, because anytime you do bow down to an angel, they're quick to say, you know, get up. You know, I, that's for, you know, obation is for God alone, not for me. And, he, and the, the angel says, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in, still in Galilee. So why do you seek the living among the dead? They had no idea. They had no idea. Christ would always say these things during his earthly ministry, but it, but, but it, wouldn't, it wouldn't penetrate as much. They still have their Jewish expectation of the Messiah to come and reign on earth. And we'll see that as we go along, too, because that doesn't stop even after Christ's resurrection and even after he's uh, ministered and taught him all the, them all this stuff for 40 days. They're still wondering, 
is at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? We'll look at that here shortly. Uh, maybe that might have to wait till next week. And then, so why do you seek the living among the dead? I have no idea. He is not here, but is risen. That's news. Uh, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again, according to scriptures, in fact, uh, and for, according to the scripture. And they remembered his words. So the women are like, Oh, yeah, that's right. I do kind of remember something vaguely like that. And they go back uh, from the tomb and told all these things to the 11 and all the rest. Remember, Judas is dead. So right now there are only uh, 11 apostles. Uh, Judas betrayed Christ and went and hung himself. All of his innards came spelling out. Uh, and we'll look at that here after a little while, too. Um, so the women who had gone was, were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who told these things to the apostles. And the apostles didn't believe it. Uh, first of all, the testimony of a woman at that time wasn't as great as the testimony of a man. First of all, you had to have two witnesses for, for it to be um, dependable at all. But they had a bunch of women. But the testimony of the woman at that time wasn't uh, to the degree of a man. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't set the word, rules, but that's how it was. But I don't think that's why they didn't believe them. I don't think they didn't believe them because, oh, gosh, these women, they are struck with grief. They are beside themselves. What do you think? Let's say, okay, and and y'all are pretending to be sad. And and then somebody comes and says, oh, no, no, he totally raised from the grave because that happens all the time. Right. How many times have you encountered that? This is new. This isn't, you got to put yourself there. They had already put all their trust, all their life. They had already dedicated everything to this man. And it, and he died. They're not, they're fairly reluctant to put their trust in him again or anything alluding to that. They're crushed. They're devastated. And all of a sudden these women come and say, Hey, his, his body's not there. We saw a couple angels. They, they reminded me of what he had said. And by the way, do you remember? This is what he had said. And they're like, yeah, well, you know, it seems like idle tales. And they didn't believe him. Uh, but Peter arose and ran to the tomb. It was actually, uh, again, uh, even in Matthew's account, it says there was just one angel, not that there were two. And many people get hung up on that. However, if there were two angels, then there was definitely one. So uh, that's not all that difficult. Uh, but yeah, Peter was one of the ones who, John was another one. But, but here it's saying, Peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. But he still doesn't believe it. He's like, okay, this checks out. <laughs> okay, I, I, I see. The tomb is empty. His linen clothes are just chilling by themselves. He's not here. All right. What happened though? What happened? Did they take his body away? What's going on here? Um, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So two of them were walking. Two of these people, two of the people who we were just, you know, this crowd of people, two of them are walking. They're, one of them is obviously named Cleopas because we have his name. They're, there are speculations as to who the other one was. Some people think this is probably a man and his wife. Some people think that they're, they're likely two men. It really doesn't ultimately matter. I just think, I think this is a, is a fascinating narrative though. I love this narrative. So they're, they're, they're walking. They're going to the village called Emmaus, probably their home, uh, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So they were in Jerusalem. 
seven miles they're walking. Okay. Uh, and they talk together of all these things which had happened. They're still struck and they're still, now they're trying to make sense of everything and they're, they're, t- and, but they're still sad because uh, so it was while they were conversed in reason that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Jesus just shows up. The resurrected Christ in his resurrected body has a tendency to do that. He just shows up sometimes. Uh, you'll, you'll see in other narratives that, you know, they've got the, they've got the door and they've got it locked because they're still f- afraid that people are going to be coming after them, that, uh, the Romans might be coming after them. The Pharisees might be coming after them. So they've got the door locked and all of a sudden Jesus appears. There's something about the body, uh, of his re- resurrected body that's not like our body. It's real. He, you can touch him. You can feel him. He can eat, which we'll see, but it's, there's something different. And there's also something it says here, but their eyes were restrained so that they did, so that they did not know him. There was something, there was something that didn't make him immediately recognizable, whether it was, and I conjecture that it was probably something more magnificent, something more glorified, something more spectacular, something that he didn't have before he wrote and he was uh, resurrected. He just shows up. They're walking along the road and he just shows up. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk in are sad? He recognizes that they're sad. Of course they're sad, but so they're, they're again, they're not believing yet. And that's what I'm trying to emphasize to you right now. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? First of all, this is, this means that this was huge news. Okay. When, when Christ was crucified, Christ's ministry and, and all of the, all of that's involved there. That was not, you know, just something that the apostles and the women were, you know, talking about. The whole city was talking about it and surrounding areas were talking about it. Samaria was talking about it. This was huge news. And so they're like, are you the only one, you know, who doesn't know about this? Where have you been? I just find it really funny because obviously he's the only one who does know actually what had happened because he was resurrected. They don't know that. So I just think it's funny. And he said to them, what things? That's even kind of opening up. He's, he's really asking, what things do you say happen? And that's where Cleopas starts saying, uh, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. There it is. Their hopes are gone. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And now all that's gone. However, indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive and certain and all that that I already read. What's going on here? What is going on here? I, I, we're, this is what we're talking about. We're trying to make sense of it. We're, we're, we're heart, our hearts are broken. We're devastated. We're a little bit hopeful. I mean, we do have this account. We don't really know what to make of it. Uh, his body's gone. We haven't seen him. Um, you know, the women didn't see him. They said they saw angels, but we haven't seen him. He's risen. Where is he? <laughs> you know? uh, so they're trying to make sense of this. And, and, and so Christ says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, uh, not the Christ to have suffered these things and, and to enter into his glory. First of all, those two things are essential. Uh, not the Christ to have suffered 
First of all, O foolish ones, it's slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. This is what the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things, that's one, that's the cross, and to enter into his glory. That's the ascension, which we're going to talk about a lot next time. We don't talk, we don't consider the ascension as much as we do the crucifixion and the resurrection. We're going to talk about the burial here in a little bit, slightly. Um, but we're going to get into the ascension next time. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the thing concerning himself. The things, what I wouldn't give to have been there. My goodness, the resurrected Christ expositing the entire Bible and, and in a way that all of this from Genesis to Malachi, the entire thing is all about me. The, the, all the prophets were speaking about me. All the law was speaking about me. Uh, all of it is about me. The Psalms were speaking about me. And he goes through the entire thing. In a brief way, probably, because we're only talking seven miles. He didn't obviously read, you know, read every single thing, expositing every single little thing. Uh, but he, but that's what he's doing. Now, look at how he admonishes them, though, too. He says, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Now, that's a, that's a, that's a fair rebuke, uh, coming from the lips of Christ. But again, we, 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 we need to be careful not to admonish these people too much and understand where they are. It's not a surprise that they're slow of heart to believe, that they don't understand what's going on here. That's what, that's what they're doing. They're talking along the way because they're, they're trying to make sense of this. All of a sudden, this guy just appears out of nowhere and just starts. First of all, they, he admonishes them. They still don't know it's Jesus. Um, first of all, he admonishes them and then goes to the entire Old Testament with them, uh, testifying that they're all about him. That it's all about him. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, which was uh, uh, Emmaus. Um, and, he ind- and he indicated that he would go for- have gone farther. And then they invited him in. It's, it's a common courtesy, uh, courtesy thing for the Jews to do that. It was actually mandated uh, uh, in their law that they're, they, they need to be hospitable. They need to bring in uh, strangers and care for them. Uh, but here, here's a guy who's, who's opening the entire scriptures. I mean, I think they're more than happy to invite him in. So, uh, they say abide with us for it is toward evening. It's almost nighttime and the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. That is a depiction of the, the Lord's Supper, but he does that over and over again. In the feeding of the 5,000, that's one of the things he did. He blesses the bread, he breaks it, and it distributes to everybody. Remember, the bread is his body. It's it's metaphor, kind of, of his body. but that's And that's what he's signifying. So uh, once he took the bread, and he blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And no sooner did they realize that it was him, that he vanished. So then their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. There's Jesus for you. Uh, uh, and, and they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Thank you for listening to CFIR Ministries podcast with Pastor James Myers. We hope you enjoy this message. Please subscribe and follow us. Tune in as we continue in the book of Acts.